over 30 years of serving the Arizona homeowner. 13 years in a row ranking Arizona's best referral network. RosieOnTheHouse.com Protecting you, informing you, and educating you. It's Rosie on the House. Hour number two of our weekly radio broadcast. This is our On the House Hour. We spend the hour talking about something specifically on your home, castle, or cabin. If you're following along in our homeowner's handbook, our home maintenance calendar, you see the nice picture of Sherwin-Williams for this month. So we're kicking it off talking about painting. And we decided to take a different angle on it uh, just because, you know, you, you do these over and over and over again. And one of the things we're constantly looking for is you know, new content. And instead of having another broadcast about new trends in paint, we thought, why not talk about the history, the human history and the use of paint? We've got Doug Karras in from the Arizona Painting Company joining us. Good morning. Thanks for coming up this Saturday morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanks a lot for having me. And it, we will be talking about the history of paint, but since we've got a painting expert in studio with us, if you would like to ask questions about your painting projects, you're welcome to join the conversation. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can email us at info at rosieonthehouse dot com. And before we get into the human history of paint, Doug, what's your history with paint? Yeah, so I started in the painting industry when I was nineteen years old. I uh, started in Atlanta. Uh, you know, just learning the trade from the ground up. So I was painting and pressure washing during the day, and then I was knocking on doors in the evenings trying to set up estimates for people. So I got a, a good side of the business side uh, training there and then also of the actual physical side of painting and learning that. And you're a long way from Atlanta. What brought you out to Arizona? Uh, so our former owner, the guy that started our company, he was like a business mentor for me, and he offered me a position to come out here and do sales back in 2012. And so I came out here, uh, thought I'd only be here for about a year, but uh, decided, you know, I loved it out here. And then he was ready to sell the business to me and my two partners. And so I'm, I'm here for a while now. So I'm loving it in Arizona, though. Excellent. And a little different climate. Did you have to learn anything different technique-wise on painting coming from a much more human environment to the dry desert? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't have a lot of stucco um, back, you know, in the South and East coast. So learning that and learning the process out here was definitely different. And just with the climate, especially during the summer of how you need to paint a house properly was a, a big adjustment. So a lot of learning, but again, I mean, this is probably the best climate in the country to paint exteriors because we get the most sun, we get the least amount of rain as almost anywhere in our country. So it's a, it's a great climate. And any special precautions, you know, right now, perfect weather what happens when it's 117 i mean do you have to run your crews out there at 10 o'clock at night to start setting up and painting floodlights yeah on the commercial side we do but you know residentially most uh hoas wouldn't be very happy if we had floodlights and (laughs) neighbors wouldn't be very happy with us so uh we start you know usually between 5 and 6 a.m in the summer and we just we can't get as long of days in so we're usually done by 12, cleaning up by 12, 1230, um, just because the surface is so hot in the afternoons. Yeah. And we'll get to what type of paints we're using in today's modern Mm -hmm. world, but let's go back to the first recordings of paint and the earliest records go back to drawings inside caves, not just hieroglyphics that are scratched in, but I'm physical painting 
that are on the walls. One of the what they call the Sistine Chapel of prehistory is the uh, Lascus Cave on <clears throat> on in, in, uh, in France. And inside the cave, they've got they found flint tools, bone tools, shellfish, <clears throat> fifteen hundred carvings, and over six hundred paintings. But they never said. What, what do you think they used for a brush? It's <laughs> a good question. Hmm. You know, I would assume they, you know, either took something maybe from, uh, you know, animal skins or, uh, you know, use some plants and, you know, tie them together. I mean, that's a great question. You know, I don't, I don't know the answer 100%. I could guess probably as good as anybody, but probably they were had to be creative to, uh, you know, find something to be able to use. Worldhistory.org has a, a article and a video that they did on the cave. And one of the materials that they used for their artwork was a material called hosmonite, which is derived from magnesium that in fire over 1,600 degrees. And the closest source that they have found is like 150 miles away. And they tried to paint this picture that, you know, <clears throat> the – uh, you know the cavemen were much more advanced than we give them credit for because they were sourcing materials for their artwork from over 150 miles. And I thought, I think I think there's probably a simpler explanation than that. <clears throat> this might have been like the first traveling salesman. You know, he, he <laughs> yeah. found this black rock that he'd never seen before, and he was carrying it around for two weeks. Couldn't find anybody to buy it off on him. And finally, he just got tired of carrying it around and just told the caveman, oh, this is what everyone up in Paris is using to paint their caves. You know, you, you need to have this for your cave. And that was the, the beginning of their use for the material. It wasn't like they had gone and there was a market for this prior to, you know, being used in their cave. But uh, some of the impressive things is they're on ceilings that are over 16 feet tall with no light. I mean – you think working conditions in 115 degrees is bad. Imagine being suspended in the air with someone holding a torch over your shoulder for light to paint on the wall. I mean, that uh, that would be pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, it makes uh, what we do today and all the tools and equipment and ladders and things we have, you know, make it seem pretty easy, you know, how we get to, to areas to be able to paint. So, yeah, that's, that's really impressive. You know what else is impressive is like where – did you ever see any of their mess-ups? Like how did they learn to draw before they started on the wall? Or are all the animals we can't explain on the wall, are those the ones they messed up? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that definitely. Is. It's, a, it's a good point. You know, We may think they were just animals that are no longer here, but maybe they were uh, – That you know, was their just practice. Animals. Yeah, those are the ones they were practicing <laughs> on and just learning. You know, like, That's not a horse. What are you trying to draw there? Horses don't have horns. <laughs> yeah. So going – for uh, it was a lot more than just the hasmonite they were using. Uh, they were pulling stuff from plants, animal fats. I mean, they even list urine as a source. How'd you like to gather that for the pain? I I gotta finish this corner before the end of the week, so somebody needs to go. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, that's a you know in in the it's an article here that they uh, use that to create color and and you know yeah it's pretty pretty amazing how far we've come from from where we started. You move forward into the Egyptian era and your territory expands a little bit uh, longer, especially with the use of the rivers. But you uh, you see the introduction of blood, saps, berry juices, charcoal, roots, um, and one of the things that the Egyptians were really credited for was increasing the binding power of paint. 
Yeah, it's really important. Um, you know, that's what helps you know keep the paint so it lasts a long time. So yeah, what they used was you know eggs and beeswax that they actually put into into the paint to make it so it, it binded a lot better and it, it was like a glue almost. I would think the beeswax beeswax would make it much more vivid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And these are still paints and stuff you can see today in museums and artifacts. I mean, they're, the the existence of these coatings are still, I mean, obviously not and the same as they were four thousand years ago. But they're you can still you know identify them as as colors. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's really impressive. Uh, you know, some that they were as creative as they were to to use their uh, their resources around them to you know create some of these paintings. And. There was a couple of uh, big quarries found in Egypt and Israel of copper. And above the copper are two other minerals that are a lot closer to the surface. You've got uh, malachite and azurite. And one's green and one's blue, but there's only like one difference on the periodic table. The blue one is uh, three points copper, where the green one is two. And they pull a lot of this material so you see this is you know you start to see your blues and greens adapt from these uh you know copper mines that they're pulling the minerals off the top of it when i read it you know you ever seen copper in the desert and it's got water over it and it starts to green after a little while i mean that's that's exactly what i picture when talking about this material i mean that's that was just the natural occurrence in earth and they were pulling that mineral out grinding it up adding it to their dyes yeah, yeah, and then deciding they probably had to figure out like how much and how little to use to get different colors to try to get to purple or pink, and you know it's it's uh, yeah it's really cool. That, you know, and their, how they use that their desire to tell a story. I mean, mm-hmm. the work it took to get the paint because they wanted to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if if we know when they started using it to like paint walls and stuff, but well, walls is what they first were using. It, it took a long time before we started to see. Any kind of painting on paper or canvas or, you know, walls is what all the art, the original paint was, was applied to. Yeah. Like in caves, right? Like on the walls in, in caves. Yeah. Yeah, but they were doing that just, like you said, it's a lot of work just to do that to try to tell a story yeah. versus, like, they, I don't think they were doing this to, uh, you know, for their livelihood. Or, yeah, obviously they weren't doing it to, you know, make money. Yeah. It was it was just doing it to, like to come said. see the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just the the process of how it came to be that hey, it'd be a good idea to just paint a solid wall mm-hmm. as opposed to the storytelling. And the stories that uh, you know, when you talk about uh, we're, we're kind of in the Egypt era, the stories and deciphering what all the different signs in their verbiage was, and you know, translating that, you're like, what if they have it all wrong? You know, what, what if the people that have studied this and you know the, the the bird really means this instead of that? I mean, it's all speculation that. You know, we, we've got their language figured out. Yeah, yeah, we don't know, right? But you, you think know. there could be the true, perfect uh, recipe for making paint in that code that we were just missing because we're not reading it right? <laughs> could be. I think there's been a lot of smart people that have, uh, you know, used a lot of what we've learned in the past and, and made it better. So, you know, it could be, but I think we've, we've came a long ways and done a pretty good job today. To where what, it's is the, what if the phoenix bird really isn't a phoenix bird? <laughs> Now well, you got me just pretend now. Just yeah. pretend. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> a really a it. Tucson bird. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Doug Chris with the Arizona Paint Company joining us in studio talking the history of paint.
moving through our history of paint. We see the next big changes come when we hit the Roman and Greek era. And a lot of the stuff that the Romans use, of course, they some say they stole it. Some say they copied it from Greek. But, I mean, it, it was all from the Mediterranean. It's not like we're talking huge. I mean, in my mind, it's it's not that far travel-wise uh, that, the, that the styles were that much different. But I don't know. But there's a lot. And when doing a lot of the research, there was a lot of argument about, you know, who was – originally introduced this and who did that was it the greeks or the romans the romans or the greeks it, it all just kind of melds together in our article but we see the uh frescoes and i when i saw that in the article and i read it through times like what what is fresh frescoes i mean what what are what's so significant about that and it's uh the term for mural painting and they were the ones that uh you know we're talking about painting on walls they started adding uh, basically what we would call a stucco to the surface, and it was three coats of uh, slacked lime and sand or uh, volcanic pis- uh, pigments that they would pick up, and they'd mix it together. Then once they had their wall surface they were going to draw on, they would put three coats of this on, and then uh, once that dried, they would start to apply their paints, and that made – a much stronger bond for the paint to stick to than just painting it onto a rock wall. Yeah, it had to. I mean, it had to make sure that it had to make it so that paint would stick to it and it would hold up a lot longer than just on a, a rock that, you know, with water, rain, everything like that, that would definitely, I think, break that down just on a rock versus almost making like a stucco texture first. And we see a lot more vibrant colors start to inter- get introduced in this era, and it's, it's from the introduction of oils. Yeah. And when I hear oil, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like petrol, gasoline, you know, cha- motor oil, change your oil in your car. But these are like plant oils that they just ground down. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that had to help with the durability, too. You know, it gave them, you know, you started to see some of these these paintings that you see, uh, you know, like Sistine Chapel and some of those where you really start to see a lot more vibrant colors uh, that, that era. And that's why. Yeah. And if you read our blog article, we are changing the caption on the picture because I don't like the way it reads. It says, artwork of the Sistine Chapel depicts St. Paul preaching in Athens. And I'm like, <laughs> that, 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 there, there needs to be more explanation in there. It's artwork that belongs to the Sistine Chapel is depicting a picture of St. Paul preaching in Athens. Because Athens yeah. and Sistine are, you know a long ways away mm-hmm. and you know I, I refreshed my browser and it wasn't oh, so that's okay. why i made a point to okay so I, we worked on that all righty maybe so. remy needs to do that for us <laughs> <laughs> we do have remy my son here and uh he's in the wedge today and he's doing a lot of website updating for us in real time so thanks for spending saturday morning with us partner i'll put that Gave up us on a thumbs uh, up yeah i'll put that up on facebook if uh, <laughs> if, if you'll let me <laughs> that's cute no, he's doing he's doing a great job. He's gotten through like six uh, over fifty updates uh, that, were, that were needed. So very good. But um, so that that will get updated uh, for for clear verbiage. But uh, the the oils that they're using and uh, incorporating these colors, they were primarily linseed oil, but there was also traces of poppy seed oil, uh, sunflowers, and walnuts of all things. Yeah, walnuts was a surprising one to me because I wouldn't think of that as being a uh, you know material that that would go into that you know that would be part of oil painting. So that was one. Yeah, but linseed oil is still one that we use today. You know, you might use that on you know 
uh, it might get used as like a lacquer coating on uh, or like a coating on a, a boat, right? On a front door, you know, a gate, a side gate in a house. Like that's still still getting used today. I don't recognize – I mean I recognize the term, but what is linseed? Um, from flaxseed. Um, oh, okay. Cotton. Okay. I th- right? Yeah. Cotton? Yep. Yeah. I did not know that. So, yeah, because um, it was from just cotton. in November we had the cotton farmers in Sierra Farms. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about their their two different uh, revenue streams off of cotton, one being the flower, the bloom, and the other, the flaxseed. And a lot of companies were buying it for uh, their oils, like a Queen Creek olive mill mm-hmm. buys a lot of their oils to, to make their linseed oil that they sell, oh. or their seeds to make the oils. So. so you can eat it or cook it. Very, uh, or paint very, it. very diverse. Or to paint, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very diverse seed. Uh, um, and how, how do you think they figured that out? Who was sitting around crunching up cotton seeds and figured out, well, this makes good paint? And I think they had probably a lot of uh, time. You know, time. Yeah, <laughs> there's no, there's no social media. There's no TV to watch back then. You got a lot of time on your hands, and you know, it probably could have been you know people too that had a lot of people that uh, you know were maybe even like slaves and labor, right? That you know that they had to do work, and they might have just hey, you're trying different things this week or this month, and you know you're gonna figure out and just trial and error probably. So the history of painting. Uh, real quick, let's spend just a minute on lead because until the Industrial Revolution, that's really the only significant thing, um, <clears throat> the, the the main difference that, that we see the introduction of lead, which we don't have anymore, but it really is like a wonder metal. It's just too bad that it's got that toxic thing because it's it, it's the wonder metal. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because uh, you know the binding agents, the resins in it, like it, it's definitely way more durable than a lot of the paints today. Most of the paints today, but the uh, you know the negative effects and the health effects of that lead-based paint is why we had to obviously stop using it. When did that come into to play? That was Ooh. well, yeah. it got completely banned in 1978. Um, and I've got the band date. I don't have the first introduced date. Okay. <laughs> oh, when it first inter- was introduced. Oh, I think it was like, the, I don't know, 18, early 1900s maybe. So, maybe even before that. Well, we'll talk about uh, when, when patents and uh, paint mills hit the market. Welcome back to Rosie on the House. Our 9 o'clock hour, we're digging deep on a topic, and this month's topic is paint. And we have Doug Karras of Arizona Painting Company joining us this morning. Thanks for sharing your Saturday with us. We've been making a journey through the history of paint, and we'll come up on what to look for in paint now as a homeowner. But, Doug, I want you to um, tell us, as uh, one of the owners of Arizona Painting Company, you guys have a deal this month. I wanted people to know about that and not miss it. Yes, yeah, thank you. We do. Uh, it's our best deal of the year. Uh, we're offering for the month of January 23% off for the start of 2023. So, yeah, get an estimate. Uh, as long as you get an estimate this month, you can get that deal, even if your paint job doesn't get uh, completed within this month. But as long as you get that estimate, we can, we'll lock in that that deal and that price for you. Definitely worth a call. And then if that's any job over $1,000. Yes, any job over $1,000, uh, 23% off. And so that's I- like, what, three square feet now? <laughs> <laughs> a little more than that, but yeah. <laughs> well, um, I know, you know a lot of the contractors have been 
kind of on the holiday, and everybody's getting ready to zoom back up. So now's a really good time. And you said it's the best deal of the year. Yes, yeah, best deal of the year. And we can get you going, get our job, get your job started really quickly. Um, if you wait until you know end of February, March, April, you know we sometimes get six, seven weeks booked out, sometimes even more, uh, depending on the year. So yeah, right now is a great time, great weather. Uh, high 60s the next 10 days, sunny. So, yeah, it's a great time to get a, a great deal and get it done quickly. Why don't you give out that phone number? Yeah, call us at our office um, in our East Valley. Chandler office is 602-648-3071. Or you can go online uh, find us at ArizonaPaintingCompany.com. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I was joking about that price, but just, you know, with the way construction material and inflation evolve done to uh, the the trades industry. But we'll get into that a little bit more in the last segment when we talk about the modern paints. Um, Let's hit the Industrial Revolution. And we fast forward to 1700 when the first recorded paint mill shows up in, of all places, Boston. I tried to look up every, I mean, it's every place I found all credited the same guy, Thomas Child, as the person that, that founded this first paint mill but i cannot find anything about him everything that you find about is is uh english photographer from the 18th century that photographed china so it's obviously not the same same person you know over a century later but i was just curious you know what seven you know 1700 an opening a paint mill what what was he opening it for were they painting white walls was this uh, fence post painting. What 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 were the painting products being used? Because I, I've never been there, but in my mind, most of Boston's you know the red brick. You know, uh, masons were the you know the kings of the trade at that time, and everything was built out of masonry. So what what was he supplying that paint for? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you don't know if if he was a uh, visionary and and foresaw what was going to happen. You know, with the Revolutionary War and just that. A lot of building was going to happen or, uh, you know, he may have had uh, some of the, you know, some of the stuff from Mediterranean that, you know, he had that influence maybe where he saw some of the paintings and wanted to be able to offer that to people uh, here in the U.S. maybe. Probably interior walls kind of drove it, I would think, too, Romy. Interior walls? Plastering the walls. You know, and I don't know how historically accurate they are, but one of the things I thought of was, you know, a lot of those old movies you see out on the porches and the patios – the wood patios and railings are all painted white. I don't know if this is like the first guy that's bringing white paint to to coat all the exterior wood for the the sitting areas out on the patios. Yeah, could have been. I I, uh, I had a chance to visit Monticello where Thomas Jefferson, uh, you know, his first his estate in uh, Rosie loves that. Place. Yeah, it's amazing in Virginia and. They said some of the rooms are still painted the same colors from when they were originally painted, which was back in like the early 1800s. And it's just amazing. Some of these are bright yellows, bright greens. And uh, yeah, so it could have been, to your point, definitely some interior walls. And the, the fact that it lasted and you think about the humidity in those areas, that's pretty mm-hmm. incredible. It is, yeah. In researching, it, there was another Thomas paint mill, and I don't know that this tied back because this is – you know, fast forwarding to 1858, uh, you know, over 100 and nearly 160 years later. But Scientific America, in their 14th edition, in their 14th year of printing, printed a drawing of a paint mill. And it talks about, you know, paint can be ground very finely and well with a 
molar and stone. So, you know, I mean, your old, you know, just a, a stone, the pigment, and the you know, kind of like a corn matat out here mm-hmm. that they use to grind that up. And, but it talks about all the technical ways that this will give you a fine, consistent ground finish pigment to add to your paint for more consistent application at the end point. Uh, and I mean, this is still six years before the Civil War starts, or uh, three years before the Civil War starts. Just the what they were working on at that time. Yeah, yeah. It's, again, it's amazing how far we've came, how far we've came, and how much more time it would take just to make a consistent gallon of paint back then versus what it takes today. You know. And did they amazing. know to save it and like seal the <laughs> lid, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what were their brushes like? Nothing like ours, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that about sealing the lid because the next key date is just uh, you know, about a decade later in 1867 when D.R. Averill of New York files a patent for the first ready-mix paint. And he's bragging about, uh, you know, he goes through all the details about what it takes to create a batch of paint and the skill you need and it's required how you know, one little mess up, but, and then you have such a narrow window of time to then apply the paint, his ready mix paint <clears throat> and, and how his ready mix paint is going to solve a lot of those problems. And one of the funniest quotes in here, he goes, in any color or shade. Now, if you saw today's fan decks, do you think he'd still claim that? <laughs> <laughs> he had yeah. no idea. Yeah, he'd be probably shocked to see how many colors are now available. But it's you know we're talking about the what what's in the paint, and he's talking about mixing compact you know five pounds of lead with ten pounds of oh, sulfite gosh. and zinc, and the three degrees of balm and salts and uh, silicate soda dissolved into water and make three gallons uh, prepared to six gallons of saturated lime water. I mean it's their, their process for making the paint was extremely uh, technical and and obviously a lot of time. And trial and error went into getting those exact proportions correct. Yeah, yeah, they had to. Again, they, you know, they didn't have computers to put it all in, and then boom, it was just saved. They had to literally probably handwrite everything of exactly how they made a batch and see if that worked, and if it didn't, try again and and keep doing that until they found a way that worked properly. And but none of this solved one of the biggest problems that paint had, which was transportation. You know, paints. Still today, you know, it's a heavy liquid, and, you know, and transportation is a big factor. Yeah, yeah, that's what they said. That was a, one of the first big issues was just it was so bulky and so heavy that it made it uh, very difficult to transport. Um, yeah, it, was, it was, had, to be in a, had to have been a big challenge before you had semi-trucks and planes and, you know, things like that. Today. So I wonder if it was kind of like local. Like now today when we make pavers, we make it in the area and the colors are unique to the area. So maybe the paints were unique to areas, too. If you couldn't transport it, you had to use what was close to your house, you know, close to your area. Which probably changes a lot of your recipes. So it, it mm-hmm. could have been a very regional uh, application. This uh, patent for the ready mix came out in New York. You know, what was the likelihood that all those materials were available in Virginia for mm-hmm. Monticello? Mm-hmm. You know, it was it a different combination of, uh, rest, you know, basically different recipe for 
the paint used there. Yeah, I think it was probably very unlikely that you were going to get the same paint and same exact formula and, and color here in Arizona as you would get in Boston, right? I think it would definitely probably be be different back then. But what that did do is paint became more prominent in the you know, construction industry and used in common building. It provided an opportunity for, for a lot of small businesses to establish and become that supplier of paint materials to your local markets. Yeah. Yeah, along with, you said, the Industrial Revolution and then just, uh, yeah, it definitely opened up, uh, you know, a whole new kind of service industry, right? Whether it's, you know, new construction and then people's homes just needing to be painted, that it opened up a whole, you know, industry. And we've talked a lot just about the paint itself, uh, but haven't talked about tools since we're speculating what they might have used back, you know, in the caves. You know, the tools for painting and brush style really haven't, haven't changed much. Bristle technology has changed, but, uh, you know, we've got mechanic tools, we've got power tools, we've got power washers, airless sprayers, you know, we have a lot more options for applicators, but do you have a single paint crew that doesn't have a traditional purdy brush? No, no, I was just going to say purdy is, is probably our favorite and it's what most of our guys prefer over any other uh, you know, brush manufacturing. And, and yeah, it's, I don't think it's changed a ton. I think they probably, they've made little changes and, you know, obviously you got, they got every different angle. You can have a straight brush, you can have, you know, for right-handed, left-handed, different angles, but, um, and different thicknesses. But I think those have been pretty consistent for, for quite a while. And what's, what, what's being used for the bristles? A lot of uh, animal hair in the past. What are we using today? Nylons and. Some- yeah. Nylons. Um, you know, that's, for the most part, you know, I'm sure that, you know, my Sherwin-Williams rep would, would know exactly the technical uh, name for that. But I'm pretty sure just nylons and, um, you know, the bristles that, that go in there. They're all synthetic. Yeah. yeah. And what's the proper way to get a perfect line? I mean, you don't just take the brush and dip it straight into the paint. I mean, is there a process of soaking it in water, letting it absorb, rent, drying it out, putting it back into the paint i'm getting that consistency without streaking yes absolutely you do that first and then then it's also you know about how much paint you put on your brush right you have to make sure you don't you're not trying to cut in a room with a dry brush you got to make sure you have enough paint on there and that you start you know in the right spot and that you're you're very uh meticulous for when when you cut in and on those cut-ins you know as the paint's on there and drying you don't want to keep constantly going over the same thing you want to be in a moving progression. Yeah, you always want to keep a wet edge on your brush to make sure that uh, you're not just moving around the paint and not letting it dry like it's supposed to. All right, we've got our final segment. We'll talk about what's in today's uh, paint compositions here with uh, Doug Karras of the Arizona Paint Company. Beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Final segment here of our On the House Hour. Doug Karras of the Arizona Paint Company talking history of paint. Let's talk about the modern application of paint. Uh, If I was to go to a paint store, uh, all paint comes in your white, and then they add the dyes as you buy the color and they add the pigment. If I just took that white can and I put it under a microscope and I was able to write down all the elements on the periodic table. What, what, what chemical composition am I looking at? 
Yeah, so some of the, the chemicals that are typically you know used in, in most paints are titanium dioxide, zinc oxide, and then some of the solvents, or one of the main ones is called mineral turpentine. Um, and, and then you've got you know your resins and binders, which are like glues that help the paint so it stick, sticks together. And then you also have what's called surfactants, which is like a almost like a soap or conditioner, but this makes it so the paint doesn't dry too fast. Because when you're painting, let's say, a wall, and you want to make sure it's an even coat, you don't want it to dry right when it touches the wall, or else it's not going to look very good afterwards. So, um, yeah, those are some of the things that go into the uh, actual paint. And I would have to imagine the more vibrant the color, the harder that is to get that consistent uh, coat. You know, yeah. white, white hides a lot of mistakes. Yes, yeah. I remember when I first started in the painting industry, I remember using some – it was when the the deep, dark reds were really in to paint on people's kitchens and inside their houses. And I remember using some of those reds and it just wouldn't dry because there was so much pigment put in to get to that deep of a red that it really can make it difficult to deeper and darker color to use. Well, you have to walk across and see our office next door because y'all came and did the red, yeah. rosy red on the walls. It looks fantastic. Awesome. But Good. T- but uh, took the, your guys six coats yeah. it, did just it really? to get yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. It, it was a, a white wall and we wanted to put the rosy red uh, from our logo on, on our accent wall. Uh, like I said, they, they did, did a great job, but you know, every single coat you could see it you could still see the white through it and they'd have to come back and, you know, you, they'd go do this room, then they'd come back and do another uh, layer, go do this room, let that dry and come back. And uh, it, it turned out really nice. So if you're a DIYer, you might want to consider hiring <laughs> Arizona Painting <laughs> Company or plan on putting on six coats if you're doing something that deep. Or, or consider a tan, you know, something, something <laughs> yeah. from the taupe <laughs> fan deck. Yeah, yeah. those reds and the thought is, oh, if I just put a thicker coat on – it will cover better. Well, you know, yes, you, you need to use better paint. That will help. But also just some of these reds, like you just have to put a thin, you know, a, a layer, even layer of coat on, of, of paint on, and you just have to let it dry and then just keep watching to, to make sure that it, it covers. If it doesn't, you need another coat. And so. we talk about going with a premium paint over a generic paint. Um, talk about the difference in, in materials between the two. Yeah, there's a huge difference in, in the cost. You know, in a paint job, the, the biggest cost is the labor, okay? It's not the materials and paint. So we highly recommend and we really try to emphasize to our customers to to use a higher-grade paint that's going to last longer, it's going to look better longer, and it's going to be more durable, especially on the inside of your house. It's going to help make it so if you have kids, you have dogs, um, if you nick up the walls, you can wipe it down. Um, it just really makes it using a premium paint. It, it may only cost another eight to ten percent of the total project, um, but if you have to repaint that house in you know five years, you're paying a whole another hundred percent, right? So it, it's going to save you a lot of money in the long run That's um, a good by using better paint. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that is something that has always baffled me that the, the fact of how much, how small of a percent of change you would think these generic paints wouldn't even exist. I mean, I, I can't imagine going to that but outside of just wall painting i mean painting itself you, you know there's a lot more it's it's com- becoming a coating industry when uh we started working with y'all gosh about a decade ago you know that was arizona painting company and you haven't changed that name but you could be arizona painting company uh and concrete coating and cabinet refinisher and i mean you, you, the the amount of coating expansion and services that y'all have uh, offered is is really uh, grown. 
Yeah, yeah, it has. We have, we now offer, like you said, concrete coatings, uh, cabinet refinishing, and yeah, it's just we've we've realized you know you taking our process and our system, uh, we feel like you know we can help uh, homeowners with more projects re- versus them having to go out and find another company to handle some of those projects. And a lot of the coating, you know, it's it's the prep work on the surface. So the concrete coatings, we're talking a lot of probably epoxy garage floors yep yeah and it's grinders so we have walk behind you know stand up really expensive grinders that you have to use to make sure that uh the the concrete coating will really adhere properly to the concrete so yeah we have to grind it all down first it's not nearly like a when you get in there with a fresh you know a fresh slab that hasn't been worked on you go into a garage it's had tires and oil and Mm -hmm. foot traffic i mean that getting down to that surface that's probably prep work wise uh, you know, y'all are probably cutting more into that surface than anything else that you're putting a coating on. Yes, yeah. Garage floors and just like a house, the prep work is the uh, what takes usually the longest and the most important part of the the painting project to make sure that gets done right to get a good uh, product in the end. Yeah, you were talking about the labor of the as your expense, and that you know you're going to save money buying a more expensive premium paint because you're, it's going to last you longer but if you buy that premium paint and you've got an inexperienced person applying it you could still be repainting it and you know sooner than 5 years because you can't stand how bad it looks and for homeowners who have more questions about painting we have a wonderful consumer guide on our website uh, for consumer guide to painting and Doug, you have a deal. Yes, so month of January, 23% off for 2023. Uh, Any jobs and projects over $1,000, give us a call today, 602-648-3071, or go to ArizonaPaintingCompany.com. And you said today, is there anyone in the office, or just leave a message? Yes, yeah. Oh, nice. If if we're on the the phone, leave a message, and we'll get, get back to you.